Julian Brandt and you're listening to Scouted Chats. Hello and welcome back to Scouted Says. I'm Jack Grimsey alongside Connor Garrett. Hey Connor, how have you been? I've been great, tired, um, working hard, playing hard, um, just watching loads of football. Um, so it's been a while since I've been on here, but like, thankfully I, uh, I'm no less uh, out of, you know, I'm, I'm no less stupid than I was before um, when it comes to the topic of football. So, yeah, excited to be back on here. Yeah, that's uh, an encouraging start. <laughs> Last time we reviewed how a lot of players have been getting on the season, and now with the third annual handbook release just over a month away, we're really excited about this next crop of U23 talent that we're going to be profiling. So I think without further ado, we can start with the Bundesliga an area obviously both of us are pretty familiar with, and... You were just telling me before the pod, maybe you're going to rant about how bad it was, but there are still some some young players that are worth talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the the thing that is still one of the main positives of the league is that there is a lot of uh, sort of burgeoning talent um, that's sort of rising to the top uh, frequently. The problem potentially might be that a lot of the clubs aren't able to keep hold of it unless they're buying. Um, even Dortmund at the moment, like you can see that they're slowly just sort of being, they're unraveling. Um, obviously, started years and years back with a lot of the players going to Dort- uh, to Bayern but now obviously with like the likes of Usman Dembele going to to Barcelona obviously that was in the summer and now it looks like uh, Aubameyang may be forcing his way out as well um even even the second force in the league isn't able to keep players there um and um yeah I think that's that's maybe like the main problem of the league is that you don't have that many teams that get like a few years to become this big brilliant group of uh, things and um it seems to be a lot of the successes are happening over a shorter period of time so yeah we we take the first half of the season for Schalke under Dominica Tedesco and it's very impressive um and that is probably maybe we start to think oh maybe they've re-established themselves as one of the the leading lights of the Bundesliga but I mean obviously it's half a season it's hard to sort of uh judge on that and um I mean I think you see again with like the likes of Hoffenheim um not been as good this season as they were before and it's it's just yeah part of the ebb and flow of the league um not sure um it's yeah i mean i've always been watching it uh, since i was uh, since i was quite young just being very interested in the league um and it is probably the least interested i've been in it this season um for a long long time um but yeah there are still lots of talking points each week that are interesting so i'm sure we'll go over them and uh, it won't be too negative yeah, but like like you're saying, it's not too competitive at the top. Bayern on 44 points and in second, Leipzig 31. But then you go all the way down to 10th and Hanover just five points behind Leipzig. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of movement that's going to take place, and especially at the at the bottom of the table, perhaps as well. But I like what you're saying about how there are clubs that have a lot of young talent, but maybe they can't hold on to them for long enough to really get something going. Because if just one player has a breakout year, maybe he leaves and if another one I'm kind of thinking about Julian Brandt right now and Jonathan Todd Leverkusen because apparently they have really low release costs like Brandt could go for 12 and a half million euro yeah I mean not, it's not even entirely surprising um when you think about that because a lot of a lot of the players do have really low release clauses especially if they've been there for a little while uh, and then aren't signing new deals I think it's more problematic when you get to like the likes of Leon Goretzka who obviously is one of the league's leading players at the moment and he can just go anywhere for free in the summer um, just because of the, the way the contractual situation is. Um, obviously, um, 
Schalke have been one of the stories of, of this season for, uh, for the Bundesliga so far. Um, and um, obviously that, that loss to Leipzig notwithstanding um, at the weekend. Um, but they um, look like, I mean, if they lose one of their key players, then who knows what might might happen next year for all of uh, Tedesco's ob- uh, obviously obvious tactical acumen and uh, sort of ideas about how he wants to sort of take the squad forward. Um, if they're going to lose key players without really having much... Uh, Sort of way, much sort of sway in keeping them, um, which I appreciate with Goretzka's dif- difficult because he is in the final year of his contract. Um, it's not easy. Um, and then obviously the same works for Leverkusen, who have been rejuvenated um, under Heiko Herrlich um, with a lot of their young players still um, at, at the club. Um, it's not just Brandt and Tal, of course. Obviously, we've got like the likes of Kai Havertz, Benjamin Henricks, Leon Bailey has been absolutely fantastic this season. Um, they um, I mean, there's, there's every chance that they could lose two or three of those players in the summer, um, and uh, who knows what might might happen to them after that. Um, so I think the problem, yeah, that I see is just that even a lot of the really good teams, they aren't given that chance to go on to the next level because they just lose all their players um, straight away. Whereas at least in maybe like for example the Premier League, um, if if a player is doing well at Spurs, which maybe is like at the moment are doing as equivalently as well as a sort of a Schalke or a Leverkusen. Uh, in the league a lot of the time so okay maybe like Carl Walker went to Man City after a while um, but a lot of those players have been around in that nucleus of that team for a good few years now yeah but he, he went for 50 million though yeah. you know it's not like he went for exactly yeah and um, I mean there have been a lot of big big money transfers from the Bundesliga I mean obviously Dortmund's squad was picked apart a couple of years ago where Hummels left and Mkhitaryan left and Gundogan left and that was for big money um, and they replaced them reasonably well. They obviously came second the next season anyway. But um, I think this things like that, the fact that the nucleus of the second best team in the league can be picked apart season upon season is why we're seeing sort of dwindling performances for the Bundesliga in Europe. Um, and it's it's not down to anything further than uh, Not really down to anything too much further than that, I don't think. I think it is just the fact that, yeah, I mean, the best players are leaving and they're being replaced and those players are good, but... Uh, when they're so young, they obviously take a little bit of time to sort of allow that talent to go. And then when that talent has sort of grown to the point where that they're, they're a leading player, uh, like a, a Leon Goretzka or a Julian Brandt, um, then yeah, they they look like they might be moving on um, sort of as soon as that sort of talent starts to be paid in. Yeah, yeah, and exactly like you like you said that with Schalke and with teams not doing as well in Europe, you can take the example of Leipzig and Nabi Keita. He's actually going to stay, but obviously we knew he was only going to stay till the summer. But uh, RB did say no to Leverkusen. I mean, to Liverpool. Excuse me for the time being. But getting back to Leverkusen, I guess we can discuss a little bit about their most recent fixture against Bayern Munich. It was uh, Bayern one three Bayern at the Bayern Arena last Friday, the game that ended the winter break and started the Rückrunde. So. You know, Leverkusen, they started the game off really positively. They were the the better side, at least for the first five or ten minutes, maybe feeding off the energy of the crowd or whatever. But they were pressing very, very high up the pitch, and it was giving them some chances. But obviously, eventually, Bayern found the breakthrough and uh, capitalized against that pressure. And they've been really interesting this season under Herrlich, like you said. And again, they tried that that three four three with wingers of Brent, or excuse me, of Bailey and Bellarabi with. Havertz and Brandt just ahead of them and then Kevin Voland at the top but um, they they were really exposed I think on the right wing against Robin with or against Ribery with Bellarabi and you know that that was eventually what undid them for, it made it 
Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes you do have to take the team, the game to Bayern sometimes, especially when you're at home. Um, I mean, this Bayern side, despite the fact they are obviously quite a far, quite far ahead in the league at the moment, they're not really anything to write home about in terms of the, in terms of compared to the Bayern teams of previous seasons. Um, so I think it's definitely the right tactic to go about there. Um, and maybe it's just yeah, a, a couple of small points have uh, sort of been by uh, Leverkusen's unraveling. Um, I think the problem. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think 15 of their 27 goals they've conceded have been from a set piece. It was like, uh, yeah, I think 13 of 24 going in. They allowed the first one was to Javi Martinez off that set piece. It was deflected, but still, and then uh, conceding again later. The thing is, they've still been, I mean, until that game, we're still on quite a long, unbeaten run. Um, so, I mean, obviously, elongated by the fact that there were about three, three weeks where there were no games, but they, they, they were on a long unbeaten run in the Bundesliga. Obviously, a lot of draws included in that, but there's such. But they're still the only team in the league to have scored every match, so that's something that's impressive. I think. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, as a Mainz fan myself, I would not be complaining uh, if it was uh, if if they were scoring every match. So that that is obviously, if your attackers are doing the job in terms of scoring, um, it is just a case of maybe sort of tightening up a little bit more defensively. And uh, I mean against a team like Bayern uh, in in the context of the Bundesliga that's probably going to be one of the games where you're going to struggle the most defensively so I don't think we can sort of uh, write too much about them conceding free at home to them and it is still in the context of the Bundesliga the most difficult fixture they're going to play apart from probably going away to Bayern um, so yeah you, you know, I mean I, I don't know it, I feel like it'd be hard to make any too, any harsh uh, sort of conclusions on me because from that because they've been so much better under Heike Herrlich than they were um, the season before under Schmidt or um, what was his face Typhon Corkett um, so yeah I mean I, I think the main thing to take from this is just how much more improved they look and they are still using like the the nucleus of a very similar team with, with that those young players that we've already sort of mentioned yeah, exactly. I think they just have to be praised, especially Heiko Hellish, for how take how they took the game to Bayern. Uh, they're starting eleven, averaged uh, twenty four point three years old. So again, that's that's great. And we saw Leon Bailey, who's twenty, um, has been I guess linked with Liverpool or Chelsea or someone, but he's played fifteen times in the league for them this year, six goals, four assists. That's great because he came in last winter, and we didn't see a whole lot of him under Schmidt or Korkut, um, who you mentioned before, and he's been great this year. Um, as well as Brandt, who we were talking about a, a little before our, our intro star. Thanks, Julian Brandt. But uh, yeah, four goals, three assists for him as well. I think it's crazy. He has 13 caps and his release clause could be 12 and a half million. It's, You'd think it'd at least be more than the amount of caps he has. Um, at least one million <laughs> per German yeah, cap. Exactly. Think you'd be <laughs> but, um, <laughs> senior caps, senior caps too, you know, not just youth caps. He's, yeah. 22 but yeah um i mean um i think i've just realized the irony of my statement about talking about how the nucleus of that team is similar when i've just been moaning about how political teams can't keep teams together obviously a large part of the fact that brandt uh for for in particular is still at leverkusen at the moment um it's probably because he just he was he did have a very poor season um sort of towards the end of last season anyway um so maybe a part of Leverkusen's strength this season is that they underperformed so much last season that a lot of things have changed and maybe their players weren't quite as uh, sort of enticing um to buyers elsewhere um so they've actually managed yeah, to yeah, keep exactly. together a, a really exciting crop of talent um and uh, bring in um a manager who um 
is maybe a little bit better at his job than uh, sort of previous um, ones, especially uh, definitely Corkut. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, obviously, the Schmidt experiment seemed to have run as courts. Um, so it's interesting um, that, that that sort of has happened and it will be interesting to see again um, next season. Um, obviously, we've still got half of the season to go, so it seems stupid to say this, but it'll be interesting to see next season how they go They go on from here and uh, to just watch them throughout the, the Rook Runder because, yeah, they have been actually one of the more exciting and more interesting teams uh, in the Bundesliga this season. Yeah, and like, like you were saying, I think they were flying under the radar because they almost got sucked into that relegation race, I guess, at the end of last yeah. season. I think but, almost as, a, and, as, a, as an understatement, I mean, like right until the end, they were there. So, um, yeah, I mean, the turnaround has been... I guess into the relegation playoff, they almost got sucked into, but yeah. Um, but like you're saying, some of their players flew a little more under the radar, maybe except uh, Hakan Shahanolu, who moved to Milan, but it's going to get sold from there apparently already. And after half a season, but yeah, they they were able to hold on to a lot of them. And even if I guess Dortmund lately have been interested in Ta, who could be worth twenty five million. But you know, if they if they do qualify for the Champions League, which is a realistic possibility, uh, I think they could they could keep a lot of these players. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously the fact that they have got a, a backer other than uh, the fans does give them sort of a little bit more of a, a, a sort of a financial incentive for their players. Um, in comparison to maybe like a, a Schalke, who actually have uh, put a lot of good business together. So obviously lose, losing Goretzka will probably be a blow in the summer. Um, I mean, I say probably, it will definitely be a blow, um, but they have made some really sort of smart moves to offset that. Like I think the the fact that they've now got um, Piazza um, in um, from, it was Juventus, wasn't it? Um yeah, yeah, he's London for the rest of the year from Juventus. Yeah, I mean, I think that is like a really good move. Obviously, won't offset Goretzka's eventual leaving. Um, but um, the fact that they obviously are looking at sort of bright young talent elsewhere in Europe uh, and bringing them in, that's a really good job on Christian Heidel's uh, behalf. Um, obviously, the sporting director there. Um, the project that him and uh, and Tedesco seem to be putting together is is probably another is one of the other more interesting things of the the Bundesliga season um and I think it's no it's no um sort of uh coincidence that they're the two teams that we've been speaking about the whole time because I mean yeah I mean do we really want to talk about Bayern really in that much detail um they've not been particularly interesting ever since uh they did get rid of uh Ancelotti um it's just sort of been like oh yeah sort of service has been restored and then outside of that uh, I mean who who are we really going to talk about? I mean, obviously Leipzig uh, a little bit, but even they're not as interesting as they were last season um, it, from a purely football footballing standpoint. And then elsewhere, it's just I mean, I just yeah, I just have nothing to say about yeah. that table. Yeah, clearly. Um, but well, we can just mention briefly on Leipzig. Uh, like we said, Nabi Kate scored the the opener against Schalke, who have been brilliant and I think the Piazza signing like you said it really sets their goals in the Champions League qualifying for the Champions League next year because they'll be able to attract that kind of player and they're kind of a sleeping giant I think really but anyway uh, Nabi Keita scored um, then I think it was made 1-1 and then Timo Vanna came on in the 63rd minute scored in the 69th and assisted the third in the 71st so he didn't start that kind of surprised a lot of people but it was a outstanding super sub appearance and I think I mean, he, I think he's going to be going. Uh, he's going to be the number one striker at the World Cup. 
I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I mean, in terms of if um, Love really wants to go for um, sort of a more conventional striker, um, his choices between Timo Werner and uh, Sandro Wagner um, really at the moment, and um, it can only really be Timo Werner. He's obviously a lot younger, um, so it'll mean um, a lot more going forward in terms of the team. Um, and I just think he's a lot better. He's a lot more talented. Um, he's not got any of the... I mean, he... He's not got quite as much of the sort of uh, awful public personality as well. Um, obviously, the the playing for Leipzig thing um, is maybe a mark against his name for a lot of the fans of the German national team. Um, but he, yeah, if he if he eventually does move on, um, there'll be no shortage of clubs looking at him, um, and it'll be interesting to see how his career develops because he really, really has kicked on from um, sort of uh, sort of mercurial talent that came through at Stuttgart a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, I think he he was in the second handbook, I believe. But um, yeah, they bought him for ten million, and they could get ten times as much easily. But um, anyway, yeah, Piazza made a substitute appearance, and so did Mbolo. So Mbolo at only twenty, I think, will be one for the long term for Schalke, even if Marco Piazza is just there until the end of the season. But uh, this this weekend we have Hoffenheim against Leverkusen. That's Saturday at. 14.30 GMT, or alternatively, you could turn tune into the... Well, actually, you probably could watch them both. You could tune into the basement battle that's going to follow Saturday, the top spiel at 17.30 GMT, Hamburg, hosting FC Köln, who are looking to get out of that relegation zone, and that's going to be a more interesting race than the title race, perhaps. Um, yeah, I mean, I think in the sense that there is actually a race, um, it will be it will be interesting. Um, I think the problem is just that a lot of the teams down there, and obviously, mine's are definitely included in this as well. So I'm not I'm not making a, state, a big statement about like Hamburg and Cologne just being awful. It, they are awful. They they they're not they're not particularly inspiring to watch. I think that something that actually might be in Cologne's favour is that they have had a good window. Uh, Simon Tarada obviously scored that really late winner for them against uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach at the weekend. Um, and uh, I think just this week they signed fans on Coziello from Nice. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, he's going to be a fantastic signing for them, I think. So um, they actually, now that they've won a couple of games on the bounce, that is two in a row now um, for them in the league. Um Actually, um, they might sort of fancy their luck if uh, if they actually can put a little bit of a run together. You never know. We have seen teams come back from the dead in, in Germany in recent years. Um, so, yeah, uh, I mean, it's definitely possible. Um, on a personal note, I hope it doesn't happen. Um, but, yeah, it, it will be. Uh, <laughs> like if, Yeah, in terms of like which fixture am I going to be watching this weekend, I think that'll definitely be up there, the, the Hamburg-Cologne game. Yeah, yeah. Just from from three weeks ago, uh, Cologne have tripled their points. Now they're on nine. They hadn't won before the until the last game before the winter break, and they won that one. And then the most recent one, like you said, against Gladbach. So that could be very interesting there, as there are just from from Wolfsburg and who are in twelfth all the way down. They they only have twenty points. Stuttgart twenty points. Freiburg twenty. Uh, Mainz seventeen. Werder Bremen sixteen. Hamburg fifteen, and then Cologne nine. So, um. Yeah, it could be could be interesting there. And I think that's a good segue to go and talk a little bit about Freiburg because they have actually have four 21-year-old center backs, which I think is, is wild. But all of them, I think, are very promising. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, um, this year in the handbook, we're going to have, uh, and I really don't want to butcher his name, but I'm definitely going to. I think it's something along the lines of like Jala uh, Soyinchi. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, no, that's... I- 
at least I, I was on transfer marked earlier and listened to the pronunciation. I think it was Shala Sunchu or something like that. Yeah, because the that kind of G, you know, in Turkish, you don't say it like Gundawan. You don't say the yeah, second so, G. So yeah. Erdogan, a little more difficult. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not sure Erdogan <laughs> yeah. will be making it into any handbook anytime soon. Uh, at least not. Not on Scouted. Not ours. <laughs> Definitely not ours. Um, but he, <laughs> yeah, uh, so Zinchi, um, he had a really good season last season with Freiburg, um, a debut one in the Bundesliga. And um, a few of the Freiburg fans that I knew were dubious about signing um, such a young player to sort of be one of their key players for the season. And obviously being a centre-half, um, it is very important. Is a very important position in terms of the stability of the team. He was brilliant. Uh, he's very competitive. Um and uh, yeah, very good in, in his duels. Um, so it was a huge part of the reason why Freiburg did so well um, and actually ended up qualifying for Europe and didn't actually get through it in the end through the qualification um, for the Europa League in the, in the pre-qualification stages. But they did actually... That's really a blessing in disguise though because look at Cologne, you know, that I think the Europa League really weighed on them. Yeah, I mean, I, so I think not, the one not thing... a bad thing, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing um, because... Obviously, we've seen like Hertha are also in the, the Europa League um, and haven't had the wheels come off quite as spectacularly um, as Cologne. Is that, I mean, Freiburg were in the Europa League a few seasons ago. Obviously, they've been down and then come back up. But I don't think the hysteria of being in Europe was going to have ever been anywhere near as big as uh, Cologne um, getting back into Europe. Um, and I think maybe the hysteria around it has sort of made Cologne just sort of completely lose track of, of the league now that they're out of it. Um, Seems like they might be on the mend, um, but um, yeah, you never really know Freiburg. It's it's hard to tell, um, but yeah, I think you might be right in just terms of like the load of games. Um, they've obviously not been brilliant, uh, but they improved as the the season went on um, towards the end of the season, and that probably would not have happened um, if they had had a little bit more sort of weight in the legs, having played uh, a lot more games, which obviously is what the Europa League does mean that they would have had to have done uh, but yeah so he was he was really he's been really good this season um obviously the fact he is so combative has meant that he has had uh, a sending off very early on um in in one game against Stuttgart and um yeah has been in the rest books quite a lot but he also has been um sort of one of the constant positive factors in the team's defense which uh yeah, they have needed a, a, quite a lot this season, and um, they've not they've not had an easy time of it, of course. But um, yeah, I think they they were improving towards the end of the uh, towards the end of the hin run, and it'll be interesting to see how they go through the second half of the season. Um, the other one that really stands out to me, uh, which you mentioned, was uh, Mark Oliver Kemp. Obviously, was a huge talent at Frankfurt a few years ago. Uh, ended up. Uh, leaving um, to come to Freiburg relatively cheap um, and uh, I think the only real reason why he hasn't broken out as sort of a really key player in the mould of like Ginter obviously Matthias Ginter who uh, started at Freiburg was just because he's had a terrible time of injuries but he's definitely going to be an interesting one to uh, track um, throughout the season as well and definitely read about in this um, handbook as well. Yeah, and yeah, out of contract at the end of the season. Uh, he's 22. I misspoke earlier. I said they had four 21-year-old center backs, but they just have three and then one 22-year-old. But <laughs> yeah, <they're... laughs> oh, they also have Robin Koch and Philip Leinhardt, who is on loan from Real Madrid, the the 21-year-old Austrian who he had he made 10 Bundesliga appearances, but he's been injured uh, as of late, but should be coming back, I think, at the end of January. So they're a fun team to watch if you if you like young defenders. Uh, also, Pascal Stenzel, who they brought in from from Dortmund to play right back. He's only 21. So, 
yeah, Freiburg is a is an exciting team with some young talent, and we'll just finish up in the Bundesliga with uh, Levin Ostenali, who I guess uh, we can reveal that you are writing about in the handbook. Yeah, um, and actually, like one of my favorite Bundesliga players at the moment. Um, I feel like he he's been handbook eligible for a while, but I, I'm looking at this and it only says he's 21. I just remember my roommate in uh, in college. He would he he was a Leverkusen fan and would. Uh, would always develop him into like an 87 overall in FIFA like yeah I mean I think but he's still only 21 I mean the fact that he is uh, the grandson of Germany legend and Hamburg legend Uwe Zähler I think has meant that he's been in the public consciousness in Germany and German footballing circles for quite a long time now um he he must have been only about 17 or 18 when he made his professional debut for Leverkusen obviously was made made a lot of appearances uh, for Bremen and then joined uh, Mainz permanently at the start of last season. Um, he was one of the most creative players at the club, especially um, after Jonas Marley left. Uh, albeit that isn't much of <laughs> much praise because there is almost no creativity in the Mainz midfield, but it means that he has been um, sort of basically at the centre of everything good that Mainz create or, or do going forward. Um, he used- well, maybe on the right, because I, I've noticed he's moved from kind of that central attacking midfield to uh, on the right wing this season more for for Mainz. Well, I mean, I think so. The thing, obviously, he played uh, on the right pretty much all of last season because until um, halfway through the season, um, they had Yunus Marley, who played every game as a central playmaker. Um, and then uh, once Boyan signed, um, he was sort of more uh, the central player when he was actually playing. Uh, but this season, uh, yeah, mostly a right winger, Levinus Tenali, but he has played centrally in some games as well. Um, and um, yeah, he does often drift inside anyway. Um, so he, he is one of the main creative outlets. He has four assists, which it doesn't seem maybe as impressive um, as um, some of the other players um, that might be in the book from the Bundesliga. But when you consider how few goals that Mainz are actually scoring, it is quite good. Um, I mean, the top scorer is uh, Muto for... Um, so and he was injured for quite a while in the in the the Hinrunde as well. So I think one of the main things is just that he he produces quite a lot of key passes um, and uh, his set pieces and dead balls are absolute quality as well. So that makes that him makes him actually a central part of Mainz attacking threat, which is usually from set pieces to be honest. Um, so yeah, he 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 is really 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 good. One of my favourite players to watch in the league at the moment and um I think if Mainz don't pick up at some point soon they may um end up having to sort of move him on elsewhere because there really should be sort of no shortage of suitors lining up for him. Yeah, he already has 101 Bundesliga appearances at the age of 21, so I think that that kind of speaks for itself. It's it's crazy. Yeah, I mean it's it's quite a few years, isn't it? Um I how that's like like just over two and a half seasons i think so in fact no yeah, it'd be for, over three seasons, like of playing every game yeah now now for mines he's 52 games bremen 46 and leverkusen's first team 17 so i mean it, he's been playing a lot of those aren't all just the Buddhist numbers if you're doing the maths but uh, yeah he's and 17 Appearances, four goals for Germany, U21s, and he's played at every level since the U15. So, I mean, I think he's he's not one of those players that's just shooting with a very upward trajectory into the national team, but he's really at about where you want to be for that age, you know? 
Yeah, just kind of kind of flying under the radar a little bit. I mean, we've seen like the likes of like Alan Eunice make it into the national team recently. Um, obviously, he is a good player, but I think Levinus Denali in a couple of years will be completely beyond that level. Um, once he actually um has had a, a little bit more experience, um, so it would be interesting to see if he does get the chance for the the German national team, uh, because he is absolutely fantastic. And yeah, with the with the whole link to being the grandson of uh, Uwe Zeller, um, I think uh, it would be a call up that would be quite popular as well. So, um, it'd be interesting to see how that that uh, develops. But yeah, I do definitely think that he's going to go on to bigger and better things than uh, what he is currently at at the moment. Yeah, I think we actually have to move on a little bit. I guess we almost spent half an hour talking about the Bundesliga. So, yeah, if you're still with us, we're going to move on to England and mention the fantastic Liverpool 4-3 Manchester City game <laughs> last weekend. That was wildly exciting and even featured some scouted stars. Yeah, I mean, it was always going to be exciting, wasn't it? Um, we're going into it. Man City... Obviously, before this game, I mean, it's, it's easy to say it in the the context now of them having lost the game, but they had they'd had a few difficult fixtures before this, where against Palace um, they were faltering, um, and um, yeah, throughout throughout the sort of start of the of the year so far, um, and taught, yeah, they they had had a few more sort of close scrapes, um, shall we say. Um, they have, yeah. They they've looked obviously brilliant so far, and they they still nearly nearly drew the game. Um, I think they came very very close right at the end to tying uh, for all. Um, but um, yeah, it was always we were looking at sort of how uh, Liverpool with their sort of bombastic style might do because um, play teams that actually attacked them like Burnley in the FA Cup and obviously Bristol City, which uh, I didn't really want to talk about in the uh, in the League Cup, um, sort of gave Man City a scare and then. Obviously, the way that Liverpool play, it was always going to be um, sort of a, a more direct confrontational style. And that's uh, ended up working out uh, an element of fortune, but obviously a huge amount of quality involved in that. So it's really it's a really exciting game to watch. And um, yeah, we'll live long in the memory, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, Joe Gomez playing on the, what, on the right of Liverpool's defence, only 20, uh, was good against Leroy Sané. And yeah, Andy Robertson, who's 23, we're still claiming him. Uh, was fantastic for Liverpool. But I mean, that clip of Robertson sort of pressing just the whole of the Man City defence right at the end is it's actually mad if you think about like how much running must he have done. Uh, I haven't seen the the exact stats, but that is um, it's uh, just absolutely incredible. And you can see um, sort of potentially why they actually wanted to sign him in the summer because the, just that level of energy to keep going despite playing that sort of high-intensity football um, is definitely needed to, to sort of be a success under club. Yeah, I mean, that's it's probably a bad analogy, but that's what I try to do at five-a-side. We granted the pitch is much smaller. <laughs> and just because I, I know I'm one of the worst players, probably the worst player, so I just uh, try to make up for it with energy. And, you know, it, it can work. Everyone says distance covered is the most useless stat, but not if you're just running about like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's so many ways you could see that. But I think the fact that they obviously won uh, and a huge amount of it was because of their pressing and their hard work, um, you can't really um, sort of claim there wasn't anything to do with it, uh, which, um, yeah, I mean, maybe some cynical people might do. Um, but at the same no, time... I mean, it just, it just typified their style kind of because that's how the, the Salah came, goal came and then... Uh, yeah, exactly, of course. Or, yeah, I, think, right, uh, I think that's why why the, the clip's been so sort of powerful um, and so, sort of made such an impression on social media and stuff because 
it actually is such a typification of like how they played that game. Um, and um, you look at it and if you don't have the context, you might be like, why is this guy running around like a headless chicken? But it's just sort of such a sort of an nth degree of like what they were doing in that game that, um, yeah, it sort of sort of fits really nicely, I think. Yeah. Um, it is the, the January transfer window, so we will mention some news because it will go down to London and Arsenal. It looks like Alexis Sanchez is going to be Heading north to Manchester, to the red side of Manchester, and maybe in exchange for Mkhitaryan. But there was a, a possibility that Malcolm was going to come in from Bordeaux. We had been hearing those rumors, I think, over the weekend, but uh, kind of have died down. I'm not sure. But, I mean, he's he's only 20. That would be a great signing for Arsenal. Who knows if that would happen. And same goes for uh, Dortmund's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who could be headed over there as well. But they're both... Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang, 28 and 29. So we, we can talk about them. Let's uh, rewind and go to Arsenal losing to Bournemouth at the weekend. Uh, Callum Wilson and Jordan Ibe scoring the two for Bournemouth after Hector Barron opened it. But um, yeah, it was Jordan Ibe's first goal for the club. Yeah, I mean, I think he's had a difficult time of it um, in terms of impressing. Um, a lot of their fans don't seem to be like the hugest fans of Jordan Ibe. And I think part of it's because he played a, a reasonable amount last season and never really made an impression. But the last few never weeks... Never scored, so they didn't remember, you know. I mean, of course, yeah. But he's he's been doing reasonably well in terms of assists recently. And I think that goal is maybe a little bit of a vindication in the fact that he, he has been selected reasonably uh, a quite quite a reasonable amount recently. Um, he he was sort of a driving force for for them uh, against uh, Brighton, which is a game I went to on New Year's Day. Um, and uh, yeah, whenever I've seen whenever I've seen him play uh, recently this season, um, he has been sort of the, the player that you sort of sit up and actually want to watch in that team because so much of it is just League One quality players. Um, and um, then so I mean, obviously, pretty much their defence minus Nathan Ake. Um, are League One players um, and a lot of their midfield too, bar Lewis Cook. It is interesting how a lot of the most interesting players to talk about in that team are the scouted players. So the Nathan Ackes, the Lewis Cooks uh, and the Jordan Ibes. Um, I think that they have been sort of their standouts recently um, and it's quite nice to see that vindication. Um, but um, I mean, as we speak, they've been absolutely pummeled away to Wigan. So um Maybe, maybe yeah, it just it just ended. I think three uh, 0 So <laughs> over by the the League One leaders, their their League One mostly team, as you as you said. But um, yeah, who was it? Ryan Fraser had the the cross in for the first, and all the Scotland fans will be telling you that that's what they expect from him. He's a quality player. He's all right. He's just he's very small, isn't he? Um, and not in a good way. He's the shortest Premier League player at five foot four. I'm not sure in the the centimeters. And the thing is, it's not like it's not like with other small um, players where they have like something else. Like I just think, I mean, he's obviously very talented, but he just looks so small and like he doesn't have that presence. I I don't know. I'm not criticizing him because he's been really good recently for them. Obviously, that that game against Everton as well. Um, before the turn of the year, he was absolutely brilliant. Um, and uh, that cross for the Wilson goal definitely need to check that one out. Um, if you haven't seen, yeah, what? Well, just because he's not as he's not as good as Messi, but he's also short. Yeah. You, you're writing him off. I'm, well, I mean, yeah, basically, <laughs> if you're five foot four, you should be as good as Lionel Messi. Otherwise, what are you talking about? No, I'm not. I'm just. I'm just saying. It's sort of. It's good to see him doing well at the moment because he sometimes when you watch him, you don't really understand um, 
like what the hype is about. But then he, yeah, I, I've talked myself into in circles here. He, he's very good, um, but it's just sort of like, yeah, it's <laughs> when you see him off the ball, you're just like, how are you a footballer? I don't know, but yeah, he's he is very good. Um, yeah, I don't think he's going to offer you a whole lot defending set pieces, so that that is always uh, trickier. You know, he can't shut down a big powerful winger like Sané that would that could be a really tough challenge for him but uh yeah Bournemouth have some some exciting players obviously just lost to Wigan who just worth a mention they're first in league one and Nick Powell has 11 goals two assists for them he's he's only 23 that's another player that kind of kind of snuck up on us as still being that young but um any any final thoughts on England or should we move on by leaving it at what games to watch this weekend? Um, come on, the Swindon. Um, and then yeah, the what, ga- what games are we looking at this weekend? Are you saying before about um, Southampton, Tottenham? Yeah, but I kind of didn't realize Southampton were all the way down to seventeenth. But you can see them host Tottenham this Sunday at sixteen GMT or City Newcastle at seventeen thirty. That's on Saturday. Spurs, Saint Spurs on Sunday. If I didn't mention that, sorry. And yeah, any thoughts about those? I think it'll be interesting to see City coming off their first loss of the season against, uh, you mentioned, Rafa Benitez. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be very interesting to see how um, Benitez responds to um, the immediate aftermath of the um, the game against City um, at St. James's Park just before Christmas. Obviously, so many people were criticising the negative approach um, that... Um, I mean, if we remember, actually nearly got them a point. They're quite unfortunate, actually, to um, have uh, sort of not um, sort of scored towards the end. Um, but yeah, the way that people were saying that it was a sort of an embarrassment on the Premier League. So it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to that in the light of um, a few teams taking the game to Man City in recent uh, weeks. And obviously the fact that they're now not going to be the Invincibles Mark II or okay, yeah, maybe football didn't begin in 1992, so Mark III, if we're going to include Preston North End in the Victorian era. Um, but, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, be inter- that, I think that'll be an interesting sort of um, battle of wits um, to watch. Would expect City to continue um, what is still a very good run of form um, and a brilliant season uh, with a, a reasonably comfortable win. Um, but um, yeah, I just think that is probably the, the story, the game uh, of the weekend with the most interesting story to write about it. Southampton Spurs will probably be good in the sense of seeing um, Spurs, uh, Southampton be ripped apart by uh, a Spurs team, which um, seems to be sort of picking up from a little bit of a, a stutter uh, in recent in recent weeks. Yeah, and I think we can move across to another team that's pretty much been walking the league Pep's old team one of his old teams Barcelona FC Barcelona sitting in first place in La Liga they've only allowed nine goals all season they haven't lost they have 51 points and Real Madrid are closer to the relegation zone than they are to their um classical rivals <laughs> so I, I mean and they they even I guess you can say this you put it in the notes I think they even beat Real Sociedad for the first time since 2007 at the Anoeta, <laughs> with even Moyes beating them 1-0 in 2015. And I put Lul in the show notes as well. I think that one is a La Liga win. I think they may have won there in the cup, sort of in the uh, in between then. Um, but yeah, they were... That, that, that is sort of quite a, an important win for them, I think, just sort of uh, mentally. Um, like that's That's been a difficult place to go in recent times, um, even when they've been sort of one of the best teams in club football um in the history of the sport um 
and yeah, to sort of go there, go two 0 down, and then come back and uh, sort of win the game forty, I think is a, a really, really big warning sign. And uh, it's interesting to see. I mean, do you remember that podcast we did at the start of the season where we were talking about how Barcelona um, sort of seemed to be completely scattergun, um, and Real Madrid were going to do so much better, and just the way that it's gone this season goes to show that people probably shouldn't listen to this uh, because what do we know? Um, I'm going to blame Steve for that one though, um, but. Um, yeah, it was. It was uh, <laughs> again. I'm talking myself around in circles, but yeah, it was. Uh, it's been really, really interesting to see how that's gone, and I think a lot of it. I mean, they're they're still nowhere near the levels that we've seen them at uh, in the last few years, um, or maybe the years before that. But um, Val Valverde has changed uh, quite a lot about how they uh, about how they sort of set up for games, and I think maybe um, in in the league in a lot of league games it has sort of meant that they just have gone the distance and uh, won games that they might not necessarily have uh, always won. Um, and this one potentially like the the sort of crowning draw of that um, sort of mentality to just keep going and uh, uh, and play smart and uh, come out with the spoils. Yeah, they've been looking really solid at the back, which Jake and I talked about last time, even after uh, Samuel and Tiddy has been hurt but um now Usman Dembele has come back but he got hurt again in that match uh they brought in Philippe Coutinho and you know they look for all for all accounts to be continuing this form even if they maybe won't um I don't know it's it's like they might not reach the highest top speed but their kind of their average speed is going to be maybe higher than like what you're saying before maybe they're winning these games instead of drawing them or something obviously they're, they're still undefeated yeah, and I mean, like, obviously, if you haven't won somewhere in the league for ten years, um, and then come back from two 0 down to win four two, um, the players are obviously aware of their their record um, away to to teams like that. Um, they, they obviously will think about stuff like that. Um, so it, that I think that is just sort of a really big sort of uh, thing in terms of like the mental strength uh, among the players for the team. Like they will know it. Say they they go to Real Madrid at some point, or they say they go somewhere else in Europe and they're they're down um, a couple of goals in one of the legs. They know that they can still get back into like, it. Uh, like five and four nil or something. Yeah, maybe uh, you never know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess again, maybe that point is slightly moot based on last season. But then when they went to Juventus, obviously um, that strength didn't seem to be there, um, and maybe um, Valverde sort of instilled that, and they actually might go reasonably deep into the, com- the competition. I think it's interesting that people saw them as like quite a good draw for um, teams in the round of sixteen, based on what we do know about the team. But um, yeah, I guess we'll find out um, as the as the season wears on because there's a lot to be written still. No, I think Chelsea are going to bring in Andy Carroll to try to battering ram down the Barca backline in that last of 16 tie, which should be entertaining, I think, next month when the Champions League returns. But um, I'm not sure how they're doing in the cup right now. They're playing Espanyol today in the, the Copa del Rey. Carlos Alenia, a 20-year-old central midfielder, uh, was handed a start. Uh, if you saw on the scouted Twitter, but um, he hasn't made any La Liga appearances this season, but it really has been bossing it for Barcelona B in La Liga 1 2 3, playing 21 times, going the full 90 every time except for three, just being subbed out for 32 minutes, uh, except for missing the most re- their most recent match due to yellow card accumulation. But yeah, six goals and three assists in 1850 minutes in La Liga 2, La Liga 2, or La Liga 1 2 3. Um, I think it's <laughs> It's positive to see from a 20-year-old. 
I think it's good for them as well because a lot of a lot of that team, um, sort of the leading players, are getting on a little bit, um, and um, obviously a lot of the idea about bringing Coutinho in is um, we do need like this long term. Um, I say we, they need this long term uh, replacement for Iniesta, um, and also I think they do need just fresh blood throughout the team as well, just to sort of in- increase the the sort of I don't know maybe the speed and the stamina that they do have. Um, in terms of um, yeah, in the long run, I think some of these players will need experience because you're not going to be getting um absolutely absolutely loads of seasons out of the likes of Iniesta now so it'd be interesting to see um if he um sort of features a little bit more for um them in the second half of this season yeah we saw him I think a little bit at the end of last season but uh, as you mentioned Coutinho he won't be eligible for the Champions League so not that Elena would necessarily start but maybe uh you'll be you'll be seeing him a little bit more uh, as they could maybe rest someone like Rakitic or Iniesta, who you mentioned at, at the weekend, maybe before the Champions League game. So, yeah, it's always good to see these guys coming through. At um, And I think he's a La Masia product as well. So it's g- good stuff for the Blaugrana over there. Um, who th- They're going to be playing Real Batiste this weekend. We're going to talk a little bit about Fabian Ruiz. He's 21. Uh, maybe you, you saw some stuff about him on the scouted Twitter the other day. It wasn't me, but it did give me the idea to... To put him in here, he's made 15 appearances in the league for Real Betis, uh, playing almost 1,000 minutes, 968 on the year for him. And 80 of them came as he started at the Santiago Bernabeu in their historic 1-0 win over Real Madrid, I think back in October or September. I don't know, around then. It was crazy. But they, I think they're they're one of the most exciting teams. I think they maybe they still haven't drawn this. No, that's Udinese. But they're... They haven't had a nil nil, excuse me. Sorry, they haven't been hold, uh, had a nil nil. So they're they're always uh, exciting. Yeah, I mean it's a little bit they're a little bit unpredictable. Like they they've been on the receiving end uh, and on the um, good end um, of some some very large score lines um, and also some yeah some, the four four against Real Sociedad. It was right after Real Madrid. <laughs> yeah, um, and then obviously that five three against Sevilla a couple of weeks ago. Um, they yeah, the Sevilla derby is, uh, I think, one of the most underrated derbies, and it was five uh, three at the Ramon Sanchez Pijuan, and with Fabio Ruiz actually scoring one of the goals for Real Betis. Yeah, I mean, not a great start because that was obviously Vin- was it Vincenzo Montella's first game um, as coach of Sevilla. Um, not the best way but to now start. Gone out and beat Atletico Madrid today. Yeah, but I mean, obviously that wasn't the best way to start it, but um, let's let's see um, how that continues. But um, yeah, it was <laughs> it's an interesting uh, interesting way for him to start that 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 reign. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think Betis is sort of the the, the team that um, of the the non Real Madrids of the non Barcelona's of the non Atleticos, um, and, and maybe Valencia as well. Um, they actually sort of are the the team that, as a neutral, you sort of want to sort of be able to tune into a little bit of each of their games because you know you're going to see something interesting. Yeah, Antonio Sanabria, the Paraguayan, is another player that's great to watch. Young striker, he did score the winner against Real Madrid, which I'm sure we talked about in a previous episode of Scouted Says. Now that I remember it, but um, speaking of Real Madrid, Los Blancos, as Jake and I said last week, should just play the kids because they're closer to the relegation zone than they are. To Barcelona, 21 points off, uh, only 16 away from Deportivo La Coruña, who are 18th, and 21 points to Malaga and Las Palmas, who are 19th and 20th, respectively. So uh, Zinedine Zidane's got some stuff to figure out there. But this weekend, you can watch Real Betis against Barcelona Sunday at 1945 GMT. So probably maybe to cap off the weekend, I guess. 
yeah, I'll definitely be definitely be trying to to tune into that. Um, I'll let you know how that goes. I mean, I guess you could you could also instead maybe go to France and watch Lyon against PSG. That's going to be Sunday at twenty GMT. So this is what dual screens were made for, Jack. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's going to be two really good games. It'd be very difficult to decide between them, but um, yeah, I mean, I think sort of having sort of probably the two favourites for each game get being away from home against two very good teams sets up sets us up for potentially one of those being an upset maybe both you never know uh, potentially also neither and um, those are the three options but um yeah it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens there well i mean i guess you can just keep cycling through because while we didn't touch on italy and Serie A on sunday night at what i think again uh, 1945 gmt is going to be inter roma so that's what, that's what triple screens were set up for. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. I might have to um, sort of explore the options there. Um, in yeah, terms you, of, to, you maybe I I know I probably have to make some friends so they can bring over a, a computer, you know, to watch an extra game. Yeah, I mean, I think I can definitely do one on the computer, one on the phone. Maybe just gonna have to yeah, also make friends. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's not really a problem. We've got a great group of lads at Scouted Football who are all working very hard on completing their Scouted Football 3 handbook profiles. Hashtag SFHB3. Tell us who you're excited for. We did drop a couple of names today, even though we're not supposed to be reviewing that. Um, when Steve listens to this, I guess he can make the appropriate punishments. Is that is that fair to say, Connor? Because the handbook not, is not coming out until uh, February 26th, I think. Well, I think Steve uh, potentially um, would have switched off when I made that joke about him um, at the start. So who knows? Yeah, yeah, right at the start of our uh, last segment. So yeah, anyway, that's uh, our scouted football boss man. Shout out to Steve. Yeah, he's, he's... Him, uh, at Stephen Scouted on Twitter, I believe. Yeah, I, I wish he'd wish he'd been here. I miss that guy's voice. Yeah, he's getting ready for the the big move to London. So that's really exciting stuff going on for him as well as. The whole scouted football team. So, yeah, those those games to watch we gave you again were Leverkusen Hoffen or Hoffenheim Leverkusen Saturday two thirty p.m. GMT, followed by Hamburg Cologne Saturday five thirty p.m. GMT, and then in England you have Newcastle against City or City against Newcastle. Excuse me at five thirty p.m. Saturday Spurs traveling to Southampton Sunday at 4 p.m. And then in La Liga, it's Real Betis hosting Barcelona Sunday at 7.45. Leon hosting PSG at 8. And then also in Serie A, you have Roma hosting Inter at 7.45. So, yeah, those are, those are your games to watch if you forgot. Yeah, I mean, that's my weekend planned. Thank you. Yeah, you, you're not going out to see Swindon? Uh, we're away to Coventry and I'm working um, so unfortunately can't um, but um, watch this space for more Garrett on the live scene action I think I'm I'm off to watch mine to get away to Leverkusen in a few weeks so that'll be uh, interesting watch some of those players we talked about earlier tell yeah. Levinus to know that like, the podcast loves him you know be interesting yeah yeah maybe even more than the podcast loves Julian Brown or intro star again so Anyway, this has been Scouted Says. You can find Connor Garrett on Twitter at Connor Garrett. You can find myself at Jack Grimsey, and you can find Scouted Football at Scouted FTBL. I'm not sure how you would have gotten here if, if you didn't follow the blog. But anyway, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Scouted Says.